Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 1 is all about Jesus, and Hebrews chapter 2 is all about our response to Jesus. And it starts with a stiff warning. Uh, The pronoun he dominates chapter 1. He referring to Jesus. He this, 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 this. It's all he, he, he. Chapter 2 is all we, we, we. And it begins, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So it's, it's our response is what's being called for. And this is Hebrews chapter 2 is the first major warning God gives in the book of Hebrews, but it's only the first. There are about seven more. And some of the strongest warnings found anywhere in Scripture are here in the book of Hebrews, and this is the, fourth, fourth, uh, the, the first time. So therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, and the warning is don't drift away. Don't turn your backs on what you've received. And then the strong, it really builds to verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And such a great Savior. Where else would we turn if we turn our backs on Jesus? What other Savior is there that we would possibly go to? Now, when it says here um, to not neglect, I want to just unpack the word neglect. Basically, it's to care less. And, And... If there's anything we should not care less about, it's Christ. If there's anything we shouldn't be careless toward, it's his salvation. Now, the word, it's built on the root word in Greek here for neglect. The root word is mellow. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the word in English that we know. The word mellow is to pay attention, to prioritize, to care about, to be interested in, to pursue is mellow. The word used here to neglect is amello. No concern, no interest, no prioritizing, no pursuing. That's what it is to neglect. And basically, it's to treat with disrespect where respect ought to be given. If there's anything we should respect, it's the salvation we have in Christ. If there's anyone we should respect, it's Jesus. Here it's warning us, don't disrespect. Don't diss Jesus. Don't diss Jesus in our daily lives. Don't undervalue him. Don't fail to appreciate and access all that we have to access in Christ. That's the warning here. Now, what follows are three reasons why we should not diss Jesus. The first paragraph following this 
is because of the announcements that God made about Jesus. And, and we're going to look at those announcements. <clears throat> the second is what Jesus himself did. Jesus himself is the second reason we shouldn't diss him. And the third paragraph here in chapter 2 is, is the benefits that we get in Jesus. And because of those benefits, we should not diss Jesus. Amen. Now, there's a guy who lives in San Francisco. His name is Stefan Thomas. I don't know whether he's related to Don and Levon, but his, his first name is Stefan. Thomas is a good name. Well, Stefan Thomas, in, who lives in San Francisco, California, purchased, as soon as Bitcoin came out, he purchased 7,002 Bitcoin. And you know, you, you don't keep Bitcoin in your drawer. You keep it in an electronic wallet. Well, that wallet is accessible by password. Now, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I wish I had invested in Bitcoin, but I didn't. Well, he, he, he purchased 7,002 uh, Bitcoin. Well, today, if you know the value of Bitcoin, he now, that wallet is worth over $200 million, that wallet of Bitcoin, for Stefan. Now, you ought to do a search on him, I'm telling you. Well, the, 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 the sad part of Stefan's story is he forgot his password. So, literally for weeks now, the, the story's been out there, and you can, you can Google this later, but the poor guy forgot his password, and he cannot access his 200 plus million in Bitcoin. It's there, it's rightfully his, but he, he has no access to it, and it will be sitting there after he's dead and gone, unless he remembers his password. It's just, it's phenomenal. But th this, this story is nothing compared to the riches you and I have in Christ that we have access to, but we don't value to the degree that we ought to be valuing Jesus and what he's done for us. That's the message of, of Hebrews chapter 2. This is the message. Don't undervalue what you have in Jesus. And don't undervalue the benefit of his salvation. Okay, so follow with me verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The first reason we should not neglect or diss Jesus is because of the announcement that we've all received of Jesus. So now, first of all, his, he, he, Jesus was announced thousands of years before he was even born. It says here, as you continue in verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord. 
Well, what's that referring to? This is referring to Old Testament prophecies of Christ. Prophecies like Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. What this <clears throat> is a prophecy that God would, through, through um, the city of Bethlehem, one of the smallest cities in the nation, send his son to be born. And that prophecy was given hundreds of years before the actual birth of Jesus. That's part of the declaration ahead of time. Or Isaiah, who prophesied 700 years before the birth of Jesus, chapter 53, verse 2, but he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire. And that's talking about the incarnation. The next verse, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's talking about Jesus long before Jesus was born. Or Psalm 2 verse 7, where David said, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now that was a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. God revealed that to David and he wrote it and it was there as an announcement of what was to come. But then the announcement continues. It says in verse four, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. Now this is the, this is the witness of all that took place during the life of Jesus on earth. The miracle of his virgin birth and the miracle of his resurrection bookending a miraculous life. And his whole life and everything in between was one miracle, signs and wonder after another. From, from Jesus healing the leper and healing the blind and, and those that couldn't speak and, and healing, healing uh, those that were paralyzed and raising the dead, and walking on water, or feeding thousands with the boy's lunch. You take your pick, but all those signs and wonders testify to the preeminence, the supremacy of this, this Savior. But it doesn't end there. It continues, and it, it says, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, those gifts, that's talking about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about the, the whole moment of, of the quickening of the church with the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and tongues and interpretation and uh, miracles and, and all the signs and wonders that God is continuing to give throughout church history all testify to Christ. So this first paragraph is saying, don't neglect Jesus and don't neglect his salvation because of the superior announcement God has made in all this elevate his unique place in history. And then it turns the focus directly on Christ himself. And it says 
it really, it highlights the miracle of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Christ. And, and these are reinforced in this short chapter two or three times. The incarnation, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Well, that's talking about the incarnation. And then verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things. That's the incarnation. Or again, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's the incarnation. Three times it's saying because of the incarnation, because the eternal God became man and lived on earth, that's why we cannot neglect Jesus. Then the crucifixion. Again in verse 9, it says, because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. There's the, there's the crucifixion. Or the second half of verse 14, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, that's the crucifixion. And then we come in verse 17 to a, a further description. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for their sins. Now, if you've got a, um, the journal or your own Bible, circle the word propitiation. It's one of the most potent words in the Bible. And when it, when it, the word propitiation means not that Christ paid our debt, but that he served our sentence. That's what propitiation means. It means that the judgment that was against us was transferred to become the judgment on Jesus and he served our sentence. So let me just say, this, this does not mean Jesus paid your bail. It, it doesn't mean that he posted bond. It doesn't mean simply that Jesus was in jail for a few days or months or years and, and served your time. The fact of the matter is, you and I had committed a capital offense and we were now under not just a life of imprisonment, but the death penalty. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the, you and I had a death penalty over our head. And we were deserving, rightfully deserving, eternal judgment and death. That's what we deserved. 
So when Jesus paid our debt or served our sentence, it doesn't mean, again, that he paid a wad of cash to get us out or that he put in a few years and served our sentence that way. It was the death penalty. And Jesus went when he said, I will pay and serve their sentence. He knew that he, the author of life, his own life would be taken. There, you, you will never find a stronger argument to not neglect the salvation of Christ. If you can realize that you and I deserve the death penalty, but Jesus stepped in and he paid the death, the death penalty. If you can see that and walk away, for you, there is no escape. There is no plan B. God rightfully will judge you eternally. That's what this is saying. How shall we escape if we walk away from Jesus? Because he is such a distinct, such a unique Savior. But that's not all. It goes on here to talk about the ascension and the exaltation of Christ. Verse 8, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. So this is the fact that, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. And as Jesus said at, at one of his resurrection appearances recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And, and uh, he's received the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That he has that name that's above every name. And, but the point is, because he is exalted to the highest place, given the highest name, all things today are subject to him. Now, I love the next phrase. Again, verse 8, it says, I, I love the honesty of this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. <laughs> what this means is you and I have stuff in our lives that are telling us Jesus isn't in, in, in authority over this thing. There's no way he's in authority over this. He's no, no. Oh, it's so easy to marshal evidence that Jesus is not an authority over all this stuff that's going on in the world today. Well, there was that, the same type evidence back in the first century when he wrote this. And that's why he said, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But, but the point here is don't allow the circumstances to blind you to the higher reality that all things are in subjection to him. 
This is a reality. And, and don't allow circumstances that are going on in the world today to convince you that all things are not in subjection to Christ. Because they are. Now, all of our hearts broke for uh, what happened uh, in the wee hours of Saturday morning when the tornadoes uh, blew through the center of our nation. Four states. There's never been anything quite like it. Hundreds of miles of just total devastation. Uh, Seventy-plus lives uh, reported missing and or likely gone. But even over that, God is sovereign. Even over that, God's a redeemer. God is compassionate to the plight of our humanity. And even with that, there are warnings. There were warnings that went off on everyone's phones that the tornadoes were coming. And many were able to escape because of the warnings. Well, here we come to one of these stiff warnings in Scripture. Like your phone going off, and you look down, and there's a warning, take shelter. The warning is don't neglect. Don't diss what you have in Jesus. Don't undervalue your access to all that there is in the salvation of Christ. Well, we've looked at two of the three paragraphs. We've seen we shouldn't neglect because of the announcements given. We shouldn't neglect because of what Christ has done. But now, the final argument is don't neglect the the salvation you have in Jesus because of the results you get because of his redemption. Now, Uh, we begin here, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should be made the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now this is talking about eternal salvation. That it's through Christ alone that we get access into heaven. There were a number of us that went out uh, visiting in the neighborhoods around the church yesterday. Um, My partner and I were able to actually share the gospel with 12 people. Uh, Three of the homes were already believers, and that's always encouraging. But uh, nine of the homes that we visited had never heard the story that we had to tell. Hallelujah. To, to give people at least the knowledge of, to respond to of the salvation that there is in Christ. And most of us here have settled this matter. We have salvation in Christ and we know it. And not only do we have salvation, but God wants to deliver us from any fear of death. It says in verse 15, and deliver all those who though uh, through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
There is no greater bondage than the fear of death. The fear of being cut off from the love of God. And Christ not only wants to give you salvation today, but he wants to give you the assurance of your salvation in Christ. That you will never again have to be afraid of dying and what's going to happen to you after. The moment after. You can know. And Jesus came to give you that wonderful assurance. But not only salvation, it continues here, verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So what is this? Well, uh, we are the ones sanctified. Uh, Sanctified means to be made holy. Well, we're common people, but God chooses us and sets us apart to be holy through the, the same source of the one that saved us. He's our Savior and will get us to heaven, but he makes us holy today. And part of that holiness is delivering us from the enemy. As it says again at the end of verse 14, that through death, that's the death of Christ, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Praise God. He's our deliverer. He brings to light the dark areas of our lives that we we don't have to hide anymore. We don't need to play games. We don't need to carry the guilt and shame. We don't need to to, uh, keep skeletons in our closets that we can be open and and free from the, the judgment and condemnation of our own conscience. This is a deep reality and benefit that we have of the work of Christ. And it all builds to verse 18, the last verse in the chapter. For because of him, uh, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here's the deal with this last verse. We've already seen that Jesus alone can get us to heaven. We've seen not only can he get us to heaven, but he can free us today from any fear of judgment or condemnation or rejection. But beyond that, not more important than that, but beyond that, Jesus is able to help you and me when we are unable to obey God when we struggle and fail and and lose the fight for our own moral integrity, in those times when we're not able, God is able. I'm glad I get a few amens on that. I'm glad. And let me tell you why. The, The whole work of Christ builds in chapter 2 of Hebrews, builds to the final application that not only does Jesus want to get you to heaven and give you the assurance that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and free you from the guilt and the, the fear of death in the meantime, but he is able 
to enter your private world and those areas of struggle to speak the truth, to quit swearing, to get rid of internet pornography, to to overcome the, 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 the sins that grab onto us and refuse to let go when we are unable to get victory over those stubborn sin patterns, he is able. He is able. That's the message here of Hebrews 2, verse 18. He's able. In fact, I'm going to go a step further. The reason God allows you and me to continue to stumble and fall is just to give us another opportunity to experience the supernatural power of God in the middle of our lives. He he allows you to fail morally, ethically, issues of conscience, where you live Monday through Saturday, in your daily life, in your home life, in your family, in your workplace, at school, wherever your life takes you. There are areas where you are failing God and your conscience convicts you. But those failures can sometimes leave you defeated thinking, I'm not able. No, every I'm not able is meant to lead you to he is able. He is able. He is able. This is a promise. Now, I like doing word studies, and the word help here, it's kind of an innocuous word, help. It's like, well, what is help? Well, this is a great help. There are four Greek words for the one word help in English, but this word help means to call for help with a tear. In other words, desperation. That God is able, when God hears your hard cry for help, he's able to help. I love that. If, if, if you're not willing to cry, and I don't mean an emotional breakdown, I just mean a hard cry of desperation. If you're too prideful to humble yourself before the Lord and to say, I've got a problem. If you keep stuffing it under the mattress, putting it in the closet, closing the door, you don't want to face it. If you're in denial over your own issues, there's really, God can't help you. But if you come clean, if you say to God, I need help, I'm not able, God will meet you. And he'll meet you today. He'll meet you today because God is able to help those who are tempted. Don't be so self-righteous to say, pretend like you're not tempted. If you're tempted, most likely there's a chink in your armor there. You've, You've got a need. There's an underlying area that God wants to access in your soul. And you don't have to hide it. You can come clean with that. God wants to help you in that area. Quit hiding. Quit hiding. Bring it out into the open. 
and, and, and ask him for help. And when you do, it says he's able. Now, I want you to just take a moment right now. I want you to, whether you close your eyes physically or just think hard, think of one area where you're struggling. Struggling with faith, struggling with obedience, struggling with moral purity, struggling with ethics. School, your house, your home, your, your relationship with your family, your parents, your children, uh, extended relationships. Think of one area. Just get one area. Just get one. Don't, don't, don't worry about five or six. Just get one area. One area where you can honestly say to God this morning, I'm not able. I'm not able. I don't have it. You're calling me to it. I don't have it. I need help. Just can you get one area? Okay, now I want you to grab that area. And I want you to say to that area, don't look at me that way. You can look at me and say, I'm not able, and you're right, I'm not able. But you cannot tell me he's not able. The reality of our lives is today, most likely, we all have one area that God's brought to the surface that we can honestly say, I'm not able, that over that area where we say, I'm not able, God wants to give you faith today to declare he's able. Yes. Yeah, he's able. He's able. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me right now around the room? Let's stand before the Lord. Would you take that one area? In fact, if you've got one area in your mind, would you just raise a hand and keep it raised? Just raise the hand and keep it raised. Father God, see our hands around this room. See, look, Lord, and, and, and Lord, behind the hand is a heart cry. Help. Lord, it's a humble admission. I'm not able. But Lord, now over this area, over this area of my life, I declare Jesus is able. He's able to help. He's able to help me. I'm tempted, but he's able to help me. And Lord, I declare your ability over my inability. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, there might be some this morning, you've never taken Christ as your Savior. Today's your day. Take him. Some of you ha have prayed a prayer years ago, but you have really, you're in a place today where you don't know if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. But Christ wants to give you that assurance. He wants to break off of you the fear of death today. Would you pray this prayer? Father God, I come and I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. And I do receive in Christ the freedom from the fear of death because I, Jesus is my Savior. And in Jesus, I have salvation. In the sacrifice of Christ who served my sentence, who was executed in my place and received the death penalty. And in Christ today, I receive eternal life. And I mark this day, December 12, as the day of my salvation and receiving assurance 
of forgiveness of sins. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? Just take it. Take your salvation. Amen. Any others? Raise your hand. God bless you. Father, minister the, the assurance, the fullness of your salvation to us. And Lord, break off of us the power of sin because of the superior salvation that you have. And we receive that power, that resurrection power in Jesus' name.